peace, namaste, and shalom. Everybody out there in dreamland, I am the beyond top secret Texan. Join me on my podcast, the Beyond Top Secret Texan podcast, where I explore the outer limits of human abilities, top secret military technologies, the reality of extraterrestrial Earth alliances, secret space wars, advanced cryptozoology, subjects of theosophic truth, esotericism, and the occult. Beyond the Top Secret Texan Podcast. Greetings everybody out there in dreamland. Namaste and shalom. Iron sharpens iron and a friend sharpens a friend. Thank you very much for listening to another episode of the Beyond Top Secret Texan Podcast. Podcast. I am your host, the Beyond Top Secret Texan, broadcasting to you from the third coast, the coast with the most, the Gulf Coast of Texas. Thank you all, listeners new and old alike, out there in dreamland. We are continuing our series of incredible UFO cases contained within the Nightcap archives online at nightcap.org Nightcap standing for National Investigations Committee of Aerial Phenomena Today we're going to be reading several cases from modern history that show a large amount of detail and corroboration with local officials and authorities, including members of the military or civil defense, air forces or coast guard, however you would classify those honorable occupations. Large amount of detail in these cases, as well as the clear observations and credibility of the witnesses, eliminates all possible debunking efforts by all skeptics, leaving two possibilities, that it's a human breakaway civilization of advanced technology piloting crafts over our nation's airspace as well as every nation's airspace with immunity and keeping said technologies from the public knowledge from mainstream disclosure and from our own upper elites abilities and awarenesses or two that they are piloted by intelligent life be it from Earth or elsewhere, that is objectively alien in nature.
The first case is going to be called the East Lake Close Encounter. The East Lake Close Encounter of March 4th, 1988. March 4th, 1988, East Lake, Ohio, 8.35 p.m. local time. A very interesting close encounter and one of FUFAR's top cases. That's F-U-F-O-R, or F-U-F-O-R's top cases. And this one may have a nuclear connection as well. A huge gunmetal gray football-shaped object that was rocking back and forth in a first observed by five people on a lake shore. Then the object began moving, swinging one end toward the shore and descending. The witnesses became frightened, ran back to their car, and fled. When they got home, the object was still visible from a window that faced the lake. The object moved out over the ice and continued to descend, with red and blue lights now flashing in sequence along its lower edges. At one point, rectangular, sorry, at one point, triangular objects darted around the parent craft, then headed east toward the Perry nuclear power plant. One witness called the East Lake Police Department to report the UFO and was also referred to the Coast Guard. The Coast Guard personnel called saw the object confirming it and reported that it appeared to be landing on the lake. The details of this case are as follows. Sheila and Henry Baker were driving home with their three children about 8.35 p.m. after going out to dinner. As they neared the waterfront, Sheila noticed something hovering over the lake and they drove down to the beach to investigate and got out of the car. The moon was bright and there was ice on the lake. Sheila could hear it cracking like claps of thunder. Plainly visible was a huge gunmetal gray football-shaped object that was rocking back and forth, with blinding white light emanating from both ends. But it was silent. Then the objects began moving, swinging one end towards the shore and descending. The bakers became frightened. They ran back to their car and they fled. When they got home, the object was still visible from a window that faced the lake. The object moved out over the ice and continued to descend, with red and blue lights now flashing in sequence along its lower edge. Sheila then called the East Lake Police to report a UFO and was finally referred to the Coast Guard. Suddenly, five or six bright yellow triangular objects shot out of the center of the large object and began darting around independently. Once they stopped and hovered, pointed up around near the parent object, then sped away altogether north, turning east, then inland toward the Perry Nuclear Power Plant. At this point, 
Sheila called the Coast Guard, which sent a team to their house to investigate. Seaman James Power and Petty Officer John Knob arrived towing a Boston whaler, a seaworthy boat. When Sheila pointed to the main craft and some of the triangular objects still zipping around it, the men drove closer to the lake to investigate, accompanied by the bakers. At the lakefront, they could hear the ice rumbling and roaring. In their incident report, later sent by Teletype to the Coast Guard headquarters in Detroit, Michigan, the men were quoted as saying that the ice was cracking and moving abnormal amounts as the object came closer to it. Power and Knob gave a running report to their base via the two-way radio in their Chevy Suburban on what they were seeing. The window was down, and the bakers overheard them saying to the effect, be advised, the object appears to be landing on the lake. There are other objects moving around it. Be advised, these smaller objects are going at high rates of speed. There are no engine noises, and they are very, very low. One of the triangles zoomed straight toward the Coast Guard vehicle. A blur of light then veered east straight up and came down besides the parent object. Two witnesses in separate locations also reported seeing the triangles. Suddenly, the triangles returned and one by one entered the side of the parent object as it seemed to land on the ice. The ellipse flashed a series of red, blue, and yellow lights. The light emanating from the end of the object turned from white to red, and the triangles re-emerged and hovered above it. The noise from the ice abruptly ceased, and the lights and triangles disappeared in a moment. This was written in the article, Space Case, The Night the Coast Guard Got Buzzed, published in the Cleveland Plain Dealer. July 12th, 1992. That is the East Lake, or the Lake Erie case. Also known as the Coast Guard case. 1988. The second case in the early modern history of ufology which cannot be debunked and must be understood for what it is a proven highly credible UFO encounter over national airspace witnessed by service personnel whose duty was to report on it with high visibility high clarity and high detail in the reports depicting advanced technology and aircrafts without a question as to the identity of the object. Leaving only the hypothesis which is split into two possibles unknowns. Top secret domestic projects or foreign projects including that of extraterrestrial intelligence. The second case is the Iranian F-4 Phantom Jet Chase. 
with radar, visual, electromagnetic, and joint air defense signals being recorded. This occurred on September 19th, 1976 in Tehran, Iran. September 19th, 1976, Tehran, Iran. After midnight, this radar visual incident is particularly noticeable for the electromagnetic interference effects on aircraft near the UFO. Two separate F-4 jet interceptors independently lost instrumentation and communication as they approached, only to have these restored as distance increased. One F-4 also lost its weapon systems when it was about to fire on the object. The incident is well documented in United States Defense Intelligence Agency, DIA, reports with a distribution list that includes the White House, Secretary of State, Joint Chiefs of Staff, National Security Agency, NSA, and Central Intelligence Agency, CIA, files. Various high-ranking Iranian military officers directly involved with the events have also gone on public record stating their belief that the object was an extraterrestrial craft. As a result of conflicting publicity in this case, UFO researchers sprang into action. According to Barry Greenwood and Lawrence Fawcett, one individual, Charles Huffer, a teacher at the Berlin American High School in Germany, attempted to locate information from the files of the Secretary of Defense relating to the Iranian report. They denied this request in a July 5, 1977 letter. Huffer appealed the decision and finally obtained the release of a three-page message about the report on August 31, 1977 via the Defense Intelligence Agency. The details are fascinating. Case also involves... IAD signals, International Air Distress Signals, on record. NICAP broke this original story in its UFO Investigator newsletter in November 1976. This was based on the leak of the teletype message by then-Major Roland B. Evans, who later wrote that the DIA, Defense Intelligence Agency, evaluation of the incident, these were followed up by the Huffer and others, mysteriously included by the FOIA, Freedom of Information Act. The leaked DSP satellite data printed that, a printout that I discovered has the exact times of events to the second, and the entry here is not at the time of the Iranian jet case. Sorry, I messed with that one. That there were documents or discovered that the exact same time of events, the second entry here is, so there was two separate sightings, one having nothing to do with the other at the time. Conclusions The object which is seen and detected on the airplane radar has not been identified. It must have been a source of considerable optical power because of the bright lights. Of more importance, it appeared to react to the activities of the jets, and it appears to have taken defensive measures against the jet by seriously affecting the jet electronics, known as the avionics. Although the American government claims that there was no investigation following the initial interviews of the pilots, 
the Iranians indicated that they were further investigation. It seems reasonable that there would have been more investigation by the United States Air Force to try to determine the nature of the failure of the electronics, what could have affected the avionics at a distance of many miles from each jet. Would intense electromagnetic radiation beamed at a jet cause temporary electronics failure? How about a beamed electromagnetic pulse, known as an EMP? EMP is a high-strength, very short pulse of electromagnetic fields that can cause temporary or permanent failure of some types of electronics and computer systems. The more detailed report is as follows. This is from November 1976. Iranian Air Force jets scrambled. Attempt to fire on UFO fails. Shortly after midnight on September 19, 1976, the Iranian Air Force command post in Tehran, Iran, started receiving calls from local citizens reporting a strange object in the sky. The object was variously described as bird-like, a bright light, and a helicopter with a shining light. The command post duty officer, knowing there were no helicopters in the areas, called B.G. Yusufet, assistant deputy commander of operations for instructions. Yusufet told the citizens that they were observing a star. However, after taking or after talking with control tower personnel, he decided that possibly something unusual was being observed and that he should see for himself. The object he saw was like a star, but much bigger and brighter. So much so that he made the decision to scramble a F-4 jet from Shah Rukhul Air, Air Force Base to investigate the F-4 interception with UFO. At 1.30 a.m., the F-4 sped down the Shirok runway to take off to intercept the UFO. The crew headed north of Tehran toward the brilliant light 70 miles ahead of them. The flight proceeded uneventfully for about 40 miles, but as the F-4 continued its intercept path, all communications and instrumentation, intercommunication and UHF, UHF were suddenly lost. The pilot immediately changed course, breaking off the intercept and headed back to Sheroko Air Force Base. After the F-4 turned away from the UFO, the jet regained all communications and instrumentation. Was the F-4 no longer a threat? Question mark. The second interception attempt was made. A second F-4 took off at 1.40 a.m. in an attempt to accomplish what the first jet had failed to do, identify the UFO. As the F-4 neared the UFO, radar contact was made by the crew. The size of the radar return was about the same as a return from a 707 jet. The term... Oh, sorry. The size of the UFO was difficult to determine visually because of its brilliant light. The relative speeds of the F-4 and the UFO were such that the jet was drawing closer at a rate of 150 nautical miles per hour. As the F-4, flying at a speed greater than Mach 1, reached the same distance from the UFO that the prior communication loss occurred, the UFO increased its speed. This acceleration of the UFO was confirmed visually and by the aircraft's instrument board radar. The pilot, Lieutenant Fafari, 
was unable to close the distance and place the UFO through Iran's clear night sky. The crew followed the intensity and the brilliant UFO lights and noted its light was like flashing strobe lights stringed in a rectangular pattern. The lights were alternating blue, green, red, and orange in color. The flashing lights were so rapid that all colors could be seen at the same time. The UFO and the pursuing F-4 were on a course taking them south of Tehran when suddenly another smaller, brilliant object came out of the UFO. F-4 missile fails to fire. The second object came directly toward the pursuing F-4, traveling at a very high rate of speed. The pilot started to fire an AIM-9 missile at the rapidly approaching object, but at the moment his weapons control panel went off and simultaneously he lost all communications. With no other defense left, the pilot turned sharply and put the F-4 into a dive in an attempt to evade the projectile from the UFO. This maneuver was not successful since the F-4 continued its diving turn. The object changed course and trailed the jet briefly at a distance estimated to be 3 to 4 miles. It then increased its speed, went to the inside of the jet's turn, and climbed back to rejoin the mothership, quote-unquote. Part of a UFO appears to crash. After the projectile returned to the mothership, the crew of the F-4 terminated the evasive maneuvers and again followed the object. The weapon control panel and the communications aboard the F-4 were again operative. As the crew watched and chased the rapidly moving UFO, another object appeared to emerge from its side and dive at a great speed toward the earth far below. The men directed their attention toward the diving object in anticipation of a large explosion upon impact. However, instead of exploding, the object appeared to come to rest gently in the hills below. The mothership sped away at a rate estimated to be many times the speed of sound. The resting object was ca casting a very bright light over an area estimated to be 2 to 3 kilometers in diameter. The pilot brought his F-4 down through the upper atmosphere and circled at a safe altitude above the UFO until the light went out. While circling, the crew carefully noted the position of the object on the ground. The F-4 headed back to its base, guided by a crew that was having difficulty in regaining their night vision after viewing the brilliant UFO light. During their return, they noted a great deal of UHF radio interference and they completely lost all communications each time they passed through a certain magnetic bearing. A civil airliner that was approaching the area during the same time also experienced communication problems when on the same magnetic bearing, the crew of this aircraft did not see the UFO. The F-4 crew still had, no, had not regained their night vision upon their arrival at the base. After circling the field a few times, they decided to go out for a long, gradual, straight-in landing. While on their long approach, the crew noticed a cylinder-shaped object about the size of a jet fighter coming toward them at a higher altitude. The object had bright lights on each end and a flash, uh, flashing light in the center. In response to a radio inquiry, control tower personnel stated that no other aircraft or air traffic controller was known to be in the area. 
this object passed above the F4 while lower personnel attempted to make, or sorry, tower personnel attempted to make visual contact. The sighting was confirmed when the pilot directed the ground watchers' attention to the proper portion of the, of the night sky. Daylight inspection of the landing site. Shortly after dawn on September 19th, the F-4 crew boarded a helicopter to return to the site of the UFO landing. No trace of the landing was found at the site, a dry lake bed, but the area is being checked for possible changes in radiation levels. The helicopter left the area and circled off to the west. As they were leaving the site, the helicopter radio started picking up a very noticeable beeper signal. Near the point where the signal was loudest and being received most clearly, the crew noticed an isolated farmhouse. They landed and asked the resident if they had noticed anything unusual the night before. The farmer replied that he had noticed a loud sound and a very bright light in the area of the landing site. Editorial comment. Every important policy making and investigative branch of the United States government is aware of this excellent report, but no public announcements have been made. A great deal of political rhetoric covers the public's right to know, but when it comes to UFO activity, the public is only informed by private organizations and individual investigators. And I couldn't agree more. Absolutely 100% to the veracity of that statement. No matter what the rhetoric of established governments and organizations to investigate and offer disclosure. The only true measure of releasing actual documented data, close encounters, and incidences of mass sightings are from private individual citizen whistleblowers are respectable individual passionate, some would say even foolhardy, daredevil, independent journalists, independent citizen journalists, to specify at that. Who spend their own time, blotted treasure, try to find the truth and to bring that truth to the people. These have been two cases that are undeniable in their clarity and detail. The Great Lakes case, the Coast Guard case, and the Tehran UFO interception case. Thank you for listening to the Beyond Top Secret Texan. I'm your host, the Beyond Top Secret Texan, broadcasting to you from the third coast, the coast with the most, the Gulf Coast of Texas. Thank you all out there in dreamland. Very sincerely, namaste and shalom. Iron sharpens iron, a friend sharpens a friend. If you would like to be notified whenever I make any uploads, go and check out my social media, Instagram, Twitter, as well as TikTok. I upload there daily. 
as well as post notifications for my podcast schedule. You can like and subscribe to my podcast through whatever channel you would like. HQ is Anchor, as well as my podpage.com slash beyondtopsecrettexan. That's the webpage for the podcast itself with all free episodes uploaded there as well. But I'm across all the apps. I'm across the entire board, as it were. But if you have a preference and I'm not on there, let me know and I will put my RSS feed there ASAP. That's going to be Linktree slash Beyond Top Secret Texan. All my links, my YouTube channel, uh, library Odyssey page, all that good shit, uh, merch store, all of it is going to be through Linktree slash Beyond Top Secret Texan, all lowercase, all one word. Linktree slash Beyond Top Secret Texan. Thank you all very much. Peace out. Thank mm-hmm. you.